Good morning, Spring Hill. We are live on Facebook, and it is so good to uh, to be with you and worship this morning. I'm, I'm encouraged today, particularly for a number of reasons. Let me just share this with you. Number one, the snow is melting. Number two, the birds are chirping. Number three, my back-ordered hand sanitizer has arrived. <laughs> And number four, our lockdown has been lifted today. Uh, the staff actually makes plans to go into the building and worship uh, next Sunday. We'll still be online. Uh, but there is so much hope uh, in the air, all of which pales in comparison to the hope of Jesus Christ, which is why we're gathered together this morning. Uh, everybody say hello to Adam, Dean, Reed, Tori, and Becca. Um, it's good to be together with you. Let me just throw out a couple of announcements. Um, the first thing I want to uh, to share with you is you saw our four-phased plan, hopefully by email or on Facebook this week, for reopening the church. Um, we are going to have a town hall meeting by Zoom tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. Um, if you didn't get that link, we're not making it public just because of the trolls that like to come in and uh, play with Zoom meetings. But um, if you if you didn't get that link, please put a note in the comments right now, and we'll make sure that you get it. Uh, we'll be in touch with you. Uh, during and after the worship service and get you that link so you can jump in. Um, also, another announcement for you. Um, we are celebrating our college graduates. If you know of somebody or if you are yourself graduating, uh, we want to just encourage you to uh, reach out to Misty. She's going to put her comments in right now uh, so that you can get her contact information. We're going to celebrate next Sunday um, and have our own little mini graduation party. Um, and that's enough rambling for now. Those are the announcements for today. But as we uh, prepare for worship. Um, hear this psalm. Listen to this psalm from Psalm 63. It says this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Friends, let's worship God together wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with. Let's praise the Lord. My heart is steadfast, oh God I'll sing praises up to Thee among the nations I'll give thanks to Thee, O Lord, among the peoples I'll sing praises up to Thee within my soul for thy loving kindness is great above the heavens, thy truth it reaches to the skies, and thy glory over all the earth, that those who love may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and answer me. Save with thy right hand and answer me. 
Thank you for that wonderful worship, Becca. Amen. All right, boys and girls, I have a message for you. Come close. I want to talk to you. First of all, I miss you all very much, and I hope you are having a great week so far. So this week, we are going to be learning um, from a book of the Bible called 2 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 7. It says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, boys and girls, there was this guy named Paul who lived a long time ago, and he wrote letters to a bunch of different churches that were just getting started. And this is one of the letters he was writing to the Corinthians. And he was telling them in this passage that we read that they have done really well in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and love. But he tells them one thing that they can work on um, to show the love of God. And that is that they can work on their grace of giving. Now, boys and girls, when we think of giving, typically we think of giving people like money, right? Like this. But you guys are kids, you might not have money to give, right? Unless you get an allowance. So you may be wondering, well, how can I give? Well, boys and girls, there's a lot more that you can give to show the love of God than money. One of the first things is you could give this. Do you know what this is, boys and girls? Oops, it's upside down. There we go. It's a watch. Now, I'm going to use this to represent time because, boys and girls, you can give your time and you can volunteer to help others and you can just be with others in fellowship and give your time. Another thing that you can give is things like this. This is a toy, boys and girls. Now, you it might not be a toy, but other items too that you can donate that others might not have and you can share with them and share the joy that they can bring. And one of the other things that you can give, so this is a marker, but I'm using it to represent your talents. Boys and girls, I know that we have some great artists in our congregation, but I also know we have people who are really good at, say, math and teaching math, or are really good at helping others with sports, or are really good at cooking. And you can use your talents, such as those, to help other people as well. And boys and girls, this is something that God calls us to do. He calls us to give generously and to give joyfully because it's one other way that we can show the love of God to other people. Now, boys and girls, will you pray with me? Will you repeat after me? Dear God, we give ourselves to you. We give you our time, our possessions, and our talents. Please use us to help others and to show them your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, boys and girls. Now remember, we have the Sunday School lessons posted online if you want to learn more. Out of my bondage, sorrow and I, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Jesus. 
this morning. Almighty God, you have raised Jesus from death to life and crowned him Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him or acknowledged his rule in our lives. We have gone along with the ways of the world and failed to give him glory. Forgive us and raise us from sin, that we may be your faithful people, obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ, who rules the world and is the head of the church, his body. Amen. Hear this assurance of pardon from 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee.
Thanks, Becca. Appreciate that. It's always great to hear you sing and just all the time and love that you put into those. So thank you. Spring Hill, it's, uh, it's good to see you. And as I've said before, I truly, I look out and in my mind's eye, I do see you. I see, again, where you sit and whether it's Bozeman or Legacy and it just encourages me. And a lot of people have been on the phones and talking and just connecting. And I wanna say, keep that up, keep going. Because the church is not a building, the church is people. And you're being the church, so keep it up. You're doing a great job. Find out how we can encourage each other. Find out how we can be praying for each other and just continue being the church and finding ways to really reach out in the community and serve the community. So I wanna say good job and keep it up. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I've never, never preached this way before. Uh, so it'll be a learning time, and, but I'm really excited about what I've learned and the sermon this morning. And I hope at the end you will be encouraged and challenged and just focused on Jesus and say, thank you. Because that's the greatest thing that we can do is look to Jesus, say thank you and emulate him because he is worthy. So as you know, we've been going through Nehemiah and we've been looking at leadership. And today we're looking at leadership when the odds are against you. Leadership when the odds are against you. And man, that feels like today, doesn't it? Uh, just with all the change in the world, the question, you know, how do you lead? How do you um, walk through this time in a Christ-like way? And we're going to look at Nehemiah today, chapter 2. And I, I'm encouraged by it. And I want to start out with a question. So I want, to, I want you to think for a moment. And I want, to, I want you to answer this question. Who is the best leader you have ever worked with and why? What made them a great leader? Who was the greatest or the best leader you've ever worked with and what made them great? So just think back for a moment. Who inspired you? Who, who pushed you in a great way? Who led well? For me, I look back and I've had many people in my life who have been leaders. And, and one that, that sticks out was uh, a man that I worked with, uh, worked under. And uh, some of the characteristics that he had was, was excellent. He had the ability to speak before a group and communicate well with a group, a large group of six to 800 people he made everybody feel like he was talking to them. And he knew how to connect with each person individually there. He was able to reach out as a, and, and speak to a group and motivate a group. But at the same time, when you were in his office or he was talking to someone, he was so present and he knew the questions to ask that you realized that he cared for you. And it was that care that he had and the ability that he had that allowed you to trust him. And one way that looked is in staff meetings. I've never been involved in so many loud uh, staff meetings in my life. I thought when I first got there, I was like, whoa, this is out of control. But what I started to see was he had built up so much trust with the people in there and they had so much trust with each other that they could be open about what they were trying to do. And, and I started watching him and he would purposely, I'll say it this way, he would purposely start little fights going on within the staff over procedure and he would challenge people and people would get all excited and then he would be able to bring it all back and allow people to discuss come to a decision and everybody felt fine about it because there was so much trust in the room that he had developed so i learned a lot about that let me say this i have also seen great leaders i've seen great mothers who, who lead wonderfully, who take their kids uh, and their household and they lead them. I've seen husbands lead their families in ways that just amaze me. Uh, and I've had the chance to be around a lot of teachers and see how they teach. And I'm constantly amazed. I'm like, wow, that's incredible leadership. We've got some of the 
best leaders in Gallatin Valley in our schools with the teachers. They are amazing. So what I also wanted to throw out here is what was the worst leader that you've ever been under? What is the worst leader and, and why? I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I want to contrast that a little bit. In three hours, we can drive one way and come to a monument of uh, a leadership failure. And that was the Battle of Little Bighorn and Custer. And if you know anything about history and about Custer, you know that he was the youngest general in the Civil War at 23. He got that way because he was so audacious in his leadership. He would just, uh, his superiors would say, hey, go get him. And he, to his credit, he would lead from the front. But he would just crash through anything that they said. And he would win the battle of the day because of his audacity. It wasn't well thought out. It was just pure blunt force. It was what I call wrecking ball leadership. And that's what he was about. Now, when it came to the little bighorn, as he was chasing the Indians around, he came to a spot where they finally found the trail and he got everybody up early in the morning. They hadn't been eating, they hadn't been sleeping. He was so worried about the Indians getting away that he had his whole unit, his whole cavalry uh, mount up and they, they literally drove for hours and hours and hours and miles and miles and miles to find where the Indians were. By the time they finally found them, they were completely exhausted. The horses were exhausted, the men were exhausted, and he didn't care. And the, his advisors, the scouts, came to him and said, you will not win this battle. You do not have enough bullets to win this battle. And he didn't care. He wanted to make sure that he was the one getting the credit for all of this. He didn't listen to his advisors. He overestimated his abilities. He was arrogant in that and he rushed into everything. And we all know what happens. To me, that was a lack of leadership and that cost many people their lives. Now contrast that with Nehemiah. Let me read Nehemiah who's put in a, another situation. Let me just read, and if you've got your Bibles, open it up to Nehemiah 2. We're gonna read one through 20. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness in my heart. Then I said, being much afraid, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city and place of my father's graves lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to him, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I had given him a time. And I had said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, the king, uh, that they may pass through until I come to Judah. And the letter to Ashvah, the king, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the walls of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of the Lord of God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the promise beyond, providence beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanblat the Horite and Tobiah the Amorite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Israel and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, and I had just a few men with me. 
and I told no one that my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. When there was no animal with me, but the one which I rode, I went out by the night to the valley gate, to the dragon springs, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem, that they were broken down, and the gates that had been destroyed by fire. When I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. When I went up, to, when I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, or the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that God had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for good work. But when Sanblat, the Horite, and Tobiah, the Amorite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And he replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right claim in Jerusalem. Leadership during a crisis. This is a, leadership is a huge topic that I could discuss for hours. What is a leader and how does a person become a leader? A leader learn, is a leader one who learns it or is it someone who is born with it? I'm even more interested in what God considers to be a great leader. Sometimes it's different than what we think. If you look at David, David in his younger life was not seen as a leader, but yet he turned out to be a man after God's own heart. And even his whole family never saw him as a leader when he was young, but God saw the heart. We will look at leadership skills and the heart of a leader that we see in Nehemiah, and we will be surprised and encouraged. Nehemiah showed brilliant skills of a seasoned leader and a heart after God and a message of hope. All of this is in chapter two. We're gonna look at the head and the heart of a leader. And right now we're gonna look at the, the head of leadership, which I call leadership skills. How does a person lead skillfully? Throughout scripture, we see God blessing leaders who have first and foremost, a servant attitude and driven to accomplish God's will. Jesus centered his life on accomplishing the will of the Father. Paul was driven to establish churches and the spiritual growth of people, and the, and the list goes on and on. But it was, it was also who they are, it was their character that allowed them to lead well. Great biblical leadership centers on character, not position. It's not position. Nehemiah was a servant. He was a servant to the king. He brought him bread. He cleaned up after him. He was not a general. He didn't come in on a horse. He was a servant who was a great, turned into a great leader. It was a godly inward drive that leads to great leadership. It was his character and skill that people followed. Here's the thing that I want to challenge you with. Everyone, in my view, everyone is a leader. And by a leader, I mean an influencer. So whether you understand your leadership position or not, or your ability, you are influencing someone. We're either leading well or we're not leading well. Uh, typically, we have the, the great man's thought or theory, which is only the great people lead. But I would suggest who are the people who led those great men and women early on? It was their parents, it was their teachers, it was their friends. All of those people built in to the leader and led them in a certain way. So I believe everyone is a leader. 
And it's interesting, it comes down to character. In James Coons and Barry Posner's book, The Leadership Challenge, they asked this simple question. Tell us the personal trait in a person whom you would be willing to follow. They've asked this question for over 30 years, gotten hundreds of thousands of responses all over the world. So this is a huge study that is constantly going on. And these four traits, these four characteristics keep coming up. Now, I would add to that before I get into this, uh, leadership is centered on trust and self-awareness. These are the four top characteristics of a leader people are willing to follow. First one is honesty. Second one is forward thinking. Third is competent. Fourth is inspiring. Honesty. Okay. You want to be able to hear a person and know that they're not trying to trick you, that they're not dishonest. They're telling you the truth, what exactly, whether it's good or bad, tell me exactly what's going on. They're forward thinking. They're able to not only see out where we need to go, but they also have the vision to see how to get there. They're forward looking. They're competent. They have to know what they're talking about. And finally, inspiring. You want to follow someone who can rally people and rally you and get you motivated and excited because that motivation is tough at times. So whether you are a teacher, a dentist, a pastor, um, a mother, a father, you are always looking at those four traits as far as a leader. In our current worldwide pandemic that we're going through, it's interesting, I'm looking for the leaders who will arise during this time. It's not the position, it's the character of the person who people will follow. I believe a crisis reveals who the leaders are, who the true leaders are. Nehemiah was just that person. If we look closely, we will see that he checks all those boxes. In honesty, look at this verse, verse 3. said, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Very wise, isn't it? for him to, to start off that way. Uh, why, sh why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city uh, is be destroyed by fire? He is openly telling the king, yes, I am sad. I'm not sick but this is why I'm sad. And that, honestly, he said he was scared. He was nervous to do that. It's anytime you're at that time before a king, you watch your words very carefully and he didn't know how he would take it. So, but he spoke honestly to him. He was also forward thinking or forward looking. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, or in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the cities of my father, that I may rebuild it. He's seeing what needs to be done. He knows what needs to be done. And he's saying, I will take the lead on this. I'll get it done. He's competent. The walls were rebuilt. All throughout Nehemiah, you see his competency over and over. Inspiring. He had to rally a lot of people to get this done. He was an inspiring leader. So those four things. Nehemiah also showed he understood the culture he was living and working in. He recognized opposition and planned for it by asking the king for letters of passage to keep him safe. He also inspected the gates at night so that he would attract, wouldn't attract attention to himself at the right time. Uh, he did his homework. Nehemiah understood what he wanted to do, what he wanted to get done, all pushed through by God. But he was also wise to the culture and where he lived. And he looked, he said, hey, there's opposition out there. And he ran into it all over the place. So he said, I'm going to go at night when there's no one there. And, and I'm going to be quiet. He's kind of being a sneaky leader at this time. But he's doing his homework. He's doing his due diligence to come up with a great plan that will actually work. He's not a wrecking ball leader. He is one that comes through 
and does his homework and prepares. And that is so needed uh, in any time. He also started the process with prayer. When the king asked him questions, he said a quick prayer before he talked. That is wisdom. That is understanding that God is in control, that God is sovereign. God, these words are important. Guide my words. And a great leader does that. A great leader sees that God is in control. God is the one who's leading. And, and I am going to pray before anything happens, before anything gets started. I'm going to be praying. Nehemiah demonstrated leadership skills needed to do great things. He was humble, strong, inspiring, and had tremendous desire. Understand this, leading in crisis takes both skill and wisdom. You can't leave out either one of those when we're talking about leadership skills and ability. Let me ask you this, how do you lead in times of crisis? I would say, I could push it a little bit, have some fun, and say, there's a crisis every week. How do you lead through that? What are your natural tendencies? Is it a wrecking ball leadership style? Is it a style that is like Nehemiah, who thinks about it, comes up with a plan? How do you lead? Now the fun part. I, lo I love talking about leadership skill, but this this excited me even more in going through Nehemiah. It's understanding his heart. It's understanding what drove him. And isn't that a great question? What drives great leaders? What drives you? What drives me? Let's look at that. So we're going to look at the heart of a Christian leader. But what is going on during Nehemiah's time? And why did Nehemiah want to even rebuild the walls in the first place? What's the big deal? It's past. It's done. Why do you want to rebuild it? And why take the huge risk? He had a comfortable spot. Now he wants to risk all that to go build, build something. Here's some context to help the story come alive. Because of Israel's sin and rebellion against God, they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple lay in ruins. The gates smashed and burned. And God... And Israel was living under God's judgment during that time. And they learned how to live during that time under judgment. However, once the judgment was finished, God used Cyrus to liberate Israel. And he allowed Jerusalem to slowly rebuild. First the temple during Ezra's time, and then the city. Israel's collapse was because of their sinfulness against God. They didn't follow his ways. Captivity was our judgment, but now they were free. Now they were free. Yet the city still looked like God was punishing them because of their state, because of the state of disrepair. It looked terrible. They were free, but the city didn't look like it. Let's look at verse 17 and shows the heart of Nehemiah and the heart of a leader during the crisis. I believe this is the most important part of the passage. Of everything that we've read so far, this is the most important in my view. It answers the why question. Why did Nehemiah feel driven to rebuild the wall? And his verse 17 says this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned? Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. The word derision can be translated as disgrace or reproach, which is also used many times throughout the book. It reflects the people's attitude towards God that Nehemiah found disrespectful. It demeaned the dignity of God and his restored people. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Here is a son who has run away and is living really in squalor at this point. He is feeding pigs, living a life that is not worthy of really his background. He's living in squalor. And I imagine people walking around him and pointing at him and saying, Doesn't, isn't he the, the son of the, the rich man back, back there? What, what is he doing here? Why is he living this way? 
once he turns around and understands his identity and who he is, humbly, he goes back to his father and his father embraces him. And he is back living in freedom. No longer was he living in squalor, but he was living in the rightful place. That is similar to what's happening with Israel. Nehemiah wanted the city to reflect restored, prosperous people that lived for God and gave God the dignity that he deserved and the people deserved because they were free. They were no longer under judgment. And that's key to this verse was understanding. Live free. You are no longer under judgment. So how does this change our life today? How do we take that principle? Don't live like you're still under judgment as a follower of Christ. Live free and focus on the future, bringing glory to God by how you live, how you follow his ways, how you desire to bring him glory through how we live. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. Just listen to this. This is understanding who we are. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We, we have a union in Christ. We are unified with Christ. Christ lives in us. He's our identity. We are strong and free and passionate to follow God's ways. Sometimes I, th I don't think we understand that enough and we don't raise the bar. God calls us to live a life passionately pursuing him. He calls us to live a life of purity. He calls us to live a life of passionate pursuit of him. Sometimes we settle. We get into a routine and we start living like we did before we knew Christ in judgment. It's time to raise the bar. It's time to see who we are in Christ and be thankful to that, that we are not in judgment. Second verse is this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Jesus reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see that? You are a new creation. If you struggle with your past, put that aside. You are a new creation. That's liberating. All the stuff in the past is gone. Amen on that. We need to be spending more time celebrating who we are in Christ and what the future holds than lamenting the past. It's done. A very good friend of mine, we had conversations over and over and over, and he kept saying, Dean, I, I, I cannot come to Christ because of my past. There's no way that God can forgive me for what I've done in my past. And as much as I tried to tell him all that will be gone, he clung to that with both hands. And that was a huge stumbling block. And, and brethren, if you are struggling with that right now, let me just tell you that God knows about it. And God is calling you to follow him. Give your life to Christ. And you are a new creation. What's done in the past is the past. What is in the present and the future brings glory to God. Final verse is this. First, or I'm sorry, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press onward to the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Here's a verse that's saying, let the past go. 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is, lies ahead. I press forward to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of a leader right there. The heart of the leader is to live for Jesus, to live for Christ and showcase him through our life. There's a freedom in that. There's a freedom of living in the present and the future and understanding the proper and learning from the past. The past is done. We're no longer in judgment. Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah saw that. Nehemiah lived that out and was motivated to put everything aside and move forward to bring God glory through building up the wall again and saying, you guys, live like you should. Live in a way that brings glory to God. And that's our challenge. And in times of crisis, people watch even more. And we have more opportunities to tell people about Jesus because he is the answer. That's the head and the heart of a leader right there. And again, we just scratched the surface on this topic. But I'm so grateful for the Lord and so grateful for you. You mean a lot to me and you mean a lot to the Lord and you mean a lot to everyone here. I am so glad uh, to be in the place that we are. Uh, appreciate the leadership here through Ryan and the elders. And I see that same passion and drive and that makes it so easy and fun to work at. Let's pray. Father, what an honor it is to, to be with you. What an honor it is to look into your word. And Father, uh, teach us the right ways to lead and give us Nehemiah's heart to live for you. Father, we thank you now as we pray in your son's name. Amen. 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 Dean, thank you for your good word of, of encouragement today. Um, you know, I think about that, Nehemiah, um, and, and your comment that even the greatest leaders have leaders. Um, yep. it, it makes me think about uh, our church and our call in the midst of a, a, still an economic crisis, a struggle that we're in, uh, to lead, to lead people to the Lord, to lead people uh, to faith in Christ. And uh, I just so appreciate your, your words of, of Nehemiah's courage, looking at a rubble of a city uh, with no way to go but forward, Dean. Thank you. And thank you for your leadership as well um, of uh, the whole church, but particularly our, our legacy site. Um, you know, and on that note, um, that's our heart's desire is to lead as God's people to lead this valley. And, and that's why we come to this time of worship uh, where we ask for our, a, a tithe uh, for the church to contribute financially, to contribute with their hands, their feet, uh, to contribute with all they have and all they are because God is so good. Uh, to us. Um, so let me pray for our offering. We're going to have uh, in the comment section, you can give online or also uh, by check. Um, we'll have our moderators put those in as well. And thank you, by the way, to Cody and Misty for moderating our conversation today. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for uh, the example of what great leadership looks like. Jesus, that, that, that you uh, came and, and showed us, made a way for us of salvation taught us how to live and led by example. Uh, God, we, we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for examples like Nehemiah of someone who uh, shows up to a tough situation in crisis and yet presses forward uh, nonetheless. God, we, we pray would you uh, bless this offering today. Lord, bless the, our, our, uh, our efforts to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks, Mega. Make this week great for the Lord. Make this week great through your life for the Lord. And our benediction is this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord keep his face and shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a great week. Amen. Amen. Bye, everyone.